Good morning, Olive Branch. It's great to be with you guys as we are continuing in this series uh, discussing thinking biblically about sex. And if you're a guest here, I want to welcome you. My name is Greg Harris, senior pastor here at Olive Branch, and glad that you would join with us in this kind of interesting, different topic for us as a church. And uh, I don't know, you may have all kinds of opinions about it and all kinds of discussion about it, but one thing I know for sure is that if you have children, um, you may be nervous that they're hearing about this or something like that. And so it's a PG-13 level, and so they're free to head on out to their own programming. But also, we really recommend and, and encourage you to be the one in your family as a parent or a grandparent to be the one who introduces your child to an understanding of sex in an appropriate manner. Now, that can be really uh, uncomfortable, disarming. What do I say? Where do I go? Maybe some of your questions. And that's why we provided, um, we purchased a few of these books and, and provide this resource um, just at a return cost for the, what it costs to buy it. But it's out there at the connections table and it's called Teaching Your Children healthy sexuality. And, and this book is one of those guides to parents that can help you kind of know how to have that conversation, walk through that process with your youngster. Maybe they're in that, uh, that preteen years heading into junior high and hey, they need to, they need to know what's going on. Or, or maybe they're, they're already there and you just want to know, hey, how do I dive into even having this conversation? Because they've already been informed of so much by, by the culture or those around you. So this is available and it's there. I want to encourage you guys to be able to take that, um, check it out, and use it. In the meantime, though, we are going to continue in our conversation uh, this morning in the conversation about marriage. Last week we checked off uh, with singles, and there was some, you know, it's a, it's a big topic, and it was kind of tough, and we were working through that, but we kind of covered most of those pieces, and I hope that you, you gathered some good information. The week before that, we talked about the biblical understanding what sex is and where it comes from in the Bible. And so we're going to focus in now on marriages. And so in order to do that, um, we're, going to, uh, we're going to pray before we jump in. So let's, let's do that together. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we, um, we understand that you created this beautiful gift. You've given it to us that you've challenged us to think through this um, kind of touchy subject amongst our, our, us as a people and our culture. We ask that you'd help us and that you would empower us to uh, bring in these principles into our marriage so that we would be able to enjoy the gift that you've given to us. And we pray that you would be exalted in all that goes on, that you open our hearts up, that you'd bring healing in some cases. And Lord God, that all of us would exalt in the great thing that you've created, which is sex and marriage. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what's interesting for me is as we've been discussing kind of this concept, a lot of people have been talking about their children, and I realized, I was like, hey, I wonder what our children's ministry does with like this, the Song of Solomon. Anybody ever read the Song of Solomon? And you looked at that, that, that is a racy book. I don't know if you know it or not. Um, the Bible is not prudish when it comes to sex. In fact, it dedicated an entire book to a very graphic portrayal almost of it. And so I'm like, well, what does our children's ministry do? And I, I kind of guessed right. They skip it. They don't really talk about it about it at all. And then I, then I got to thinking, because we bought my daughter like a little study Bible. It was a real Bible, an actual Bible, a children's Bible. And I'm like, I wonder what they do. Is it like sealed off? Is it like got a special wax coating on the side? So it just auto skips it or something? I don't know, you know. So I picked it up. I opened it. No, it was there. They didn't eliminate it. I read the bad, the bad passages, you know, for children to read. And I'm like, they're saying what they say in my Bible. You know, it's all right there. So I went to the front. I went, what is it saying? And, and it said, well, who wrote this? Oh, Solomon wrote this. I'm like, why was this written? Or what was this written about? Well, it's written about how grown-ups love each other. And I'm like, that's an understatement. And then, and then I looked at, so what does it say in the book? 
And it's like, or who, who should read this book? And it's like, it was written for grown-ups. It's like very clearly telling the child, skip this. You open it up and there's a couple, of fra- couple segments in there talking about how you need to take a bath once in a while. And, and you know, that's about all they had in it. And I just thought, this is so funny because we're so squeamish about the subject with children. And yet, it's because we, we think the Bible has not got anything in it. We're like, oh, children's ministries, they're teaching the Bible. But we don't teach this stuff. Because the Bible is not prudish. It is very clearly exalting over sex in a marriage setting. In fact, it's introducing us, and this is awesome. This is great stuff. Talks about it at the beginning of the Bible. And then in Solomon, the book of Song of Solomon, it kind of really lays this out. I want you guys to hear how clearly God is about this concept, that sex is not just about procreation only, but it's a gift of pleasure to the married couple. Yes, about procreation, becoming one flesh. We talked about that two weeks ago. But it's also about pleasure to the married couple. In fact, in this book, Song of Solomon, it's laying out these, uh, the Shulamite and Solomon coming together on their wedding day. And so the first few chapters up to chapter six is all about how they, they keep running into each other and they see each other and they're amazed at each other and they, they want to fall, they want to evoke love, but don't do that yet because it's, it needs to be done at the right time. It's kind of this super tense, like passionate book and it builds all the way to she has this nightmare slash dream of him and it's this weird thing. And finally, they come together in, in roughly chapter six and and chapter and chapter seven, and suddenly it goes into chapter seven. I just want you guys to hear this. This this is like how detailed the Bible gets. Um, Solomon sees the Shulamite. He says, "How?" And this is on their wedding night. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. You can imply what navel actually is there, but because then it goes on to talk about your belly is a heap of wheat. Don't ever say that to your wives' husbands. Um, <laughs> meant something then that it doesn't mean now. Um, so encircled with lilies, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools and heshbon by the gates of Rab- Rath- Rabim, wherever that is. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, another one you don't want to rephrase. Um, which looks towards Damascus, your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. The king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. And this is totally written by a man, by the way, you can tell. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. And (laughs) the Bible is, is very clear that this is... This is a joy to enter into. It's a beautiful thing. It is passion. In fact, in the Proverbs, in a section talking about sexual pleasure and marriage and warning them away from this uh, sexual immorality, it tells the man, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. And this is this picture of this intimate beginning of a marriage that continues on through the stages because they've invested in each other. And this is exactly what we want to get into, that there's this investment, there's this this sense of communication and life that we were talking about a couple weeks ago. We called it knowing one another. That sex in the marriage is a knowledge, it's a study of each other. And we want to encourage you guys in two ways this morning. And I say we because I don't want to speak on my own. When we get into marriage, it's often best to not speak for women. And so I, I asked my wife to be a part of this. And so would you welcome my wife, Teresa, up? She's going to join us this morning. 
Now, we're, we're not experts, and we don't purport to be experts, but um, we've done about 10 years of premarital counseling. We like kind of talk, like the last week a lot to talk about. It's something that's been big, and, you know, she's not a big-time public speaker, so um, I'm just glad she's here with me. So just, uh, again, thank you for being up here, babe. Um, but really what we want to start with, and really the conversation we want to begin with, is something that's fairly well known but needs to be reiterated, and maybe for married couples especially, and then we're going to tease this out. And that is that sex is actually meant to be an all-day thing. And the men are like, really? This is cool. No, um, no what we mean by that is that Men have a tendency, we think of sex as the act. Our culture really is focused on sex as an act. And really, sex is more than that. As we've seen, it's a knowing. It's a dance. It's kind of a pursuit. It's kind of these, these pieces. And, and we see this in the Song of Solomon. And it's kind of summed up, actually, in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Here's the verse that we're looking at. It says, In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it goes on to talk about how they left the family and cleaved to become one flesh. And the the sexual conversation is clearly laid out. Now, what's crazy about this verse is the pattern there. The pattern, I want you to imagine the picture of this. We don't know how long this took. You know, it's really short in your Bible, but we don't know the length. He wakes up. Is he like, thumbing around, looking at animals, naming them again, going like, what am I supposed to do? God just knocked me out. And then all of a sudden, he hears this voice. Maybe you see God coming around with this grin on his face. Hey, Adam, I got something for you. Yeah, who knows how this turned out? Then she steps out, and he's just like, oh, my God, what is this? You know, this kind of reality. He sees her. He has to have seen her. It's from this perspective. And then he declares. Now, that... That is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Words come flowing forth. And from that is this intimacy. And from this passage, we can evoke the dance of what's going on in, in the hearts. Men see and they desire. And yet women, women are being seen. Yeah, and I love this passage because it kind of shows that from the very beginning, God made women with this innate need to be desired, and that's the part of the sexual relationship for women, and that's such an important aspect um, in a relationship. And so I think that, you know, we can all, we see that in the chick flicks and all the money that goes into the movies and stuff. Um, We see that women like to be desired, and they want to be wanted and, and valued also. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes those movies, but you get like three, three or four guys staring at one woman or something like that, yeah. and it's like, yeah, it's it not hard. always like biblical. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's a good point. But the point here is that in those movies, what they're portraying is that there's this pursuit, and there's this seeing and this declaration. There's this, I want you, I see you. And I think that's powerful because I think us guys, we understand that idea of a hunt, don't we? We have the idea of that pursuit. And I think for us, I think we get this down, right? We wake up in the morning, we see our wives, we go, oh, I want you. And then they leave and we're like, I want you. See, I love you. I want you later. And just like later they come home, we're like, hey, I want you. And then, they, you know, it's like they, it's time for bed and it's like, hey, I want you. Uh, that's the pursuit, right? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm obviously teasing her. Well, we all know that men want sex. That's no uh, mystery. But I think that the biggest hurdle for a man in a relationship with his wife is to prove to her that he doesn't just want sex, he actually wants her. Because women desire to be the end, not the means to an end. Yeah, so it's, it's that troubling point where, right? Okay, guys, uh, thank you. The first service was like, no, we don't understand. 
the, the beautiful thing is that men have a tendency, we want sex. And there can be this sense, I think, uh, and trust you can tell me if we're wrong, but that women know this and they wonder, are you after me or are you after me as an object that you can have an orgasm with? That's a very different reality. And, and that's, what I, that's what my wife's saying is that, guys, we, we really need to communicate that we want our wives for who they are and not as some object that, that we desire. Um, not that we don't desire them, but Genesis, does, is, again, uses this word no for sex. It, it doesn't just use the act, the word. And it's defining sex then as a study, as a knowledge of each other, uh, of understanding our wives. And so there's a pattern, right, that we should have. Again, I'm being a little facetious, but um, kind, of, kind of what does that look like then? And for us, it's different than it's going to be for everybody else. Yeah, I think that's different for everyone. I think that as women, um, we need to know what we need to feel close to our husbands. We don't always take the time to think through that and to know um, what makes us feel close to them or feel loved by them, I guess. And um, so I think that that is an important thing as women, that we take the time to figure out what it is for us that speaks um, our value into us so that we can share that with our husbands and then they can speak that back to us. Yeah, I think that it's important... It's a fallen world. We can't read each other's minds. We don't know these things. But what, what's going on here is that she, God's brought her, presenting her. And now there's this connection. He's declaring. And what's important, I think, of what we're trying to say is that, ladies, you, have a, you, you need to tell your man what makes you feel connected. Is it a long conversation? Is it, uh, you know, flowers and, and dinner? Is it, um, is it getting active and being out there and doing sports? I mean, I know... You have a story in that. Well, yeah, and I think that we all, you know, just assume that it's romance, but I think it's just different for everyone. And I have a story from our family that um, one of our family members was getting married, and the dad went to the soon-to-be husband and said, you know, I'm going to tell you the, I guess, the, the key, the mystery to having a happy life. And he was kind of referring to the sex life. Um, just make sure your house is always clean. That's it. That works. So, so for some women, it's, you know, a clean house. Any amens out there on that one? I don't know. But okay, there we go. All right. And the wonderful thing about this is all of us are different, and that's why it's a study of our wives, guys. And so let me tell you something from the male's perspective. Well, I think, ladies, you need to tell your husband what it is that makes you feel close and connected. Guys, we need to listen, and we need to proclaim that. We need to do that. There's a proclamation section. He just doesn't go in his mind, now, this is one of my bones. It comes out of his mouth. And a lot of us are missing out on that opportunity to tell your wife when you see her that she looks beautiful, looks amazing, looks hot, however you say that. Say it. Encourage that. Be proclaiming that, oh, you are the one. I love that about you. It doesn't even have to be visual all the time. Sometimes I think that that is probably the most powerful part because of the first passage that we talked about in Genesis. Because that is what brings and draws women into a sexual relationship is being desired and they have to know it first before they engage it. Now, so one of the things we encourage you guys then is how many of you have heard of the five love languages or read the book? Um, that's, if you've never heard of that, write that down. It's one of those great pieces to help you kind of understand how each other feel loved and, and feel connected. And men, if you know her love language, live in it. Live in it. Just fight to live in that love language because it'll help connect and draw that in. Now, we see this in this passage. We've got ladies, you're desired and he's desiring. And so this is obviously what very important observation here. Men are visual. Men are visual. I, I don't know a man who's not visually stimulated by his wife 
Men see, and that's why pornography is so powerful amongst men. It's a visual thing. And so men see and long. They see and need to declare. There's a, there's a foreplay that happens with the visual. And that's, that's really important as we kind of dive into this conversation because that's where it starts off for Adam, where it starts off with the communication and the relationship with Eve. It starts off with Adam as this, oh my goodness, look at this. This is bone of my bone. This referencing visual. So, Yeah, and I think that as women, we have to be able to say that we have to want to be theirs, and we have to acknowledge that they are ours and, um, and know them. And so it just depends, you know, on who your husband is, but it's really knowing him and what he desires and what he likes um, about you and just kind of, I guess, going along with that. And I don't mean, this is not actually what I wanted, okay. how I wanted to say it, but it's coming out a little different. It's okay. But I, so it's like, let me, let me ask you this way. Um, you want to, you, you've kind of had the idea that you want to be yours and you want to, there's an enjoyment actually going on in there and that's not just yeah. all one way. And we're not talking about um, like a, like a dirty thing. We're not talking about, you know, being promiscuous in public. That's not at all what we're saying, but we're just saying that there's this alluring thing that goes on between a couple and to engage in that and to not resist that, to actually recognize that you are each other's and to know each other and yeah, and you recognize that there's kind of this tendency in, from youth ministry and stuff of, of, of asking for purity from our, from our teenagers and things, but then marriage comes along and there's kind of this disconnect, right? Yeah, a lot of times we'll say that we want our young or our youth to, um, we want to make them a promise that they're going to be virgins when they get married, and so then they get married, and then we say, okay, now this is the only woman you get, and she's the only one that you can look at and want. And then the women are like, wait, never mind. I don't actually want to have sex with you. And so I think that that is like a reverse thing that goes on in our culture. And it's really, I think it's really twisted, you know? Yeah, and in fact, there, it, it can show. And this is, the reason we're talking about this, this isn't about, this is about communication. Ladies, you communicate with your body. You communicate with what you wear. You communicate with your, with your visual language to your husband. And so what's interesting about this is that I, I've, taught, I've heard this and I've noted this from other men in our, in our times. Like, hey, you see your wife and she's leaving the door. And man, she looks hot. She's going off to work. And you're like, wow, I can't wait till I get home. And you get home and she's not quite dressed in the same way. She's changed shoes. <laughs> She's cooking, the kids are around the inside, her hair is up and not, you know, and then you're like, okay, okay, I get it, you got to be comfortable, and then it's like, okay, it's time for bed, and then she puts on full-on body armor and sweats, <laughs> and you're like, and, and be honest, those guys were kind of like, well, what's this, this is where you got me all riled up in the morning, to, that's reverse. So now we just need to wear sweats during the day, and yeah, then no, at night, we'll I'm not saying that either. <laughs> But I want you guys to realize that you're communicating this idea of, hey, yeah, I want you, but then it's never, it's not going anywhere. It's actually going the opposite direction. By the time you cover up in the most intimate place, there's a lot of things that women wear today, just to be honest, out in public, that belong in the bedroom and only in the bedroom. And if you would wear that in the bedroom, it would change a lot of things. <laughs> And so one of, that's because it's part of your communication pattern. He sees you, and it's not like he's going, I want to just have sex. Remember, we're trying to love you, but there is a reality. You're saying, I want you to be drawn in, and there's a bit of enjoyment that comes from that. Not, um, I, I guess you've, you've done that for me in some cases. With Yeah, I think that um, when we were first dating, I was a barefoot, flip-flop shoe girl. I didn't really, my goal was to have one pair of shoes for every outfit, like not, like literally one pair that I could wear with every outfit. 
I didn't want to have any. <laughs> so, um, and he, there was a couple times where we went to some weddings together and I had worn heels or something and he was overly reactive, like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. I love your legs and those shoes. And so after that, I realized, well, I like that reaction, so I'm going to wear heels more often. So. She didn't wear heels today, so I'd pay attention to you guys. So. <laughs> but the reality is that, um, look, your men are visually communicated too. It's part of that. And we're not talking about guys. We're not talking about turning ladies into pornography stars, okay? This isn't making your woman a porn star. That's not okay. That's actually beyond the bounds of a giving, loving relationship. Um, if it's seeding from some kind of pornography, you're not shaping them in the image of God. You're shaping them into the image of something else. So I want to encourage you guys that this is a conversation of things that make you indicate that, hey, she's, she is saying to you, hey, this, this is time. This is, hey, I, I'm, I'm interested in having sex with you. And these kind of cues can be known between you and becomes your private communication. So this isn't about forming somebody into an image. So ladies, I'm not asking you to do something that's uncomfortable or outside of the bounds of, of what you're comfortable with, not to mention what is scriptural. And so there's a very reality. Modesty still is part of how ladies, the scriptures indicate you should dress and be in our culture. And so, but that modesty needs to diminish the closer you get to your bedroom. That's kind of the reality, okay? Um, at the same time, I want to reference one other weird thing about this, that sex and all day thing. And we know that men want to have sex, there seems to be this kind of reality that that's wrong in a marriage, that your husband's a pervert somehow because he wants sex more than you do. And yet, um, there's a Taylor Swift story that you Oh, told. well, no, I just think that when we look back at the story that we've been reading, it's, it's evident that God intended sex for marriage and that it's a good thing and it's, it's a gift and that, um, that as married people, we need to look at it as a gift and we need to pursue it, um, I would say, in the right way. And, but it's interesting though, because in our culture, I feel like it's more the single people that pursue sex and they're not looked down upon. Um, I read a story about Taylor Swift one time and uh, it was one of her ex-boyfriends talking about why she can't keep a guy. And uh, he just made a comment about the fact that, you know, he knew why because she didn't put out or something. And um, the, the article actually didn't like make him look bad. You know, they thought, oh, well, he's young and there's all these women throwing themselves at him. So they understood, you know, his perspective. And I just thought, how ironic is that, that in our culture, that for a single man, it's normal and it's right for him to want to have sex and want to have any woman that he wants. But then in a marriage, it's not a good thing when a husband wants his wife and maybe even wants her regularly. Um, somehow Satan is a genius and he twists even that. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, just covering off on some of these objections that could come up from this idea in this passage. Uh, really, the, the, the point is that sex in this concept is a communication. It's a pursuit and a dance. It's communicating, you men communicating verbally, having that connection with them, whether it's how they feel connected through flowers or a conversation. Oftentimes, it will include some kind of talking. And, and so I want to remind us that in the... Yes. <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, by the way, I, I may, you may think I like to talk a lot. I'm actually, I talk a lot on stage. I use up my words, and she talks a lot at home. But I want uh, <laughs> to be willing to listen. I engage. That's not the question. But the reality is that we need to be in that communication cycle. We need to be enjoying this, getting to know each other regularly. And, and honestly, guys, Ephesians chapter 5 says we're the leaders of the, of the family. You and I, then, 
aren't to lead with what we want. This is a giving relationship. We lead with communication. We lead by giving to them what they need and what they desire. And that's how we lead well. By knowing their love language, leading them first. Because guess what? We're always going to be the first to probably, not always, but we're more likely going to be the first to communicate, hey, we want to have sex. And so that reminds you ladies that there's a flip there too, that you at times need to communicate that you're ready. And when you take the leads from each other in your dominant areas, you actually are communicating you want to give the need to one another. You want to love one another. You want to pour into each other. When this happens, it just binds your marriage together. It takes a lot of work to know each other. It takes a lot of work to study each other so you can write the book about each other. But if you did, that, I mean, that guy who's given you those declarations from your work telling you you look beautiful, think you're smart, giving you the compliments, if your husband's giving you that, what's that guy worth? Ladies, if you're dressing in a way that's giving the right cues to your husband and, you're, and you are saying, you know, tonight we'll, we'll talk, you're flirting with him, doing whatever you, you can do, that is powerful against pornography and adultery. He's, that, that woman is throwing signals at him. He's like, I don't have a chance with you. I got a chance at home tonight with my wife. And that's a beautiful, beautiful binding that needs to occur often and strongly. Yeah, and so not only as women do we want to pursue our husbands for sex, but also acknowledge that um, we expect them to communicate with us and we would not be okay with them coming home after we had a hard day and, and basically telling us that they were too tired to talk to us about our hard day. So we're going to have the conversation another day. And so I think that we have to keep that into perspective when we are... Um, sometimes resisting our husbands uh, when, they, when they desire to have sex with us because we're so willing to take from them in the conversation department and yet we're not always willing to give to them what is needed. Yeah. In fact, that's where it kind of leads to the next kind of difficult, I think difficult statement to some people, not to everybody, but to some people is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where it really is telling us that sex is supposed to be in the marriage experience regularly. Um, if you want to go there, flip over to 1 Corinthians 7. We can kind of take a look at what he's saying. He, uh, he, he starts off, Paul again is writing, and he's talking in Corinth about sexual immorality and, and kind of all these pieces. And he says, now concerning the matters which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to porneia, sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. And all the men said, amen. I'm just kidding. Um, for the wife, but this is powerful because it says, for the wife does not have authority over her body, and the husband, like, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And do not deprive one another except for perhaps an agreement, by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And it's an interesting segment here that he's talking about this joy that comes in sex that you shouldn't be withholding it from each other. In fact, in an ancient world context, this is radical. See, in a marriage setting, in the ancient world, I owned Teresa. And all she was good for was having my children. If I wanted to release my sexual pent-up desires, I went and had a mistress. Hope this is not being recorded and taken out of context, but this is the illustration of the ancient world. Paul just said, no, 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 no. There are none of these. She is the only one, and you don't own her, 
she owns you as much as you own her. There is a mutuality. There's an equality. And there is a need for you guys to be regularly experiencing sex together. And this is Paul's powerful statement that has revolutionized the very concept of church, of, sorry, church of, yeah, church too, of the entire family and the marriage unit in, in history. And, and it's shaped it ever since. Well, and, we, and as we look at um, all these passages with regarding to marriage, we recognize that, you know, sex is the one thing that separates it from all other relationships. It's the most unique aspect to your marriage. And so that's why, you know, it's, it's kind of important to pour into that. And so I, I think it would be great for Christian women to have the perspective um, that they would actually hope for sex every day. And I don't mean that it's actually going to happen, but that they would change their mentality, that it's not a negative thing, that it's a, a minimalist mentality. You know, I'm going to give you exactly what you need, but to recognize that your, your relationship is gaining from that unity and um, that if you could have a positive perspective rather than a negative. Yeah, I think on the flip side, because it sounds so challenging, uh, the men's side for women is to say, guys, I think that you should hope to have an intimate connection where you learn something new about your wife or your relationship every day. That that would feed her, that you would meet her at her, at her love language every day. And while that's not going to happen, you're going to be on trips, you're going to be out of town, you're not always going to be able to meet those things. But to have that hope, why wouldn't we? Amen? Why wouldn't we want to build into each other every single day in our needs in this area? And you would watch that just bind your relationship so powerfully. And, and so when we say regularly, let's just clear the deck real quick. We're not talking about addiction situations and, and weird stuff and stuff that's harmed and hurt people in the past. We're talking about healthy relationships, okay? There are plenty of, of harm. We, want, we need to deal with that. But we're talking about healthy relationships. Guys, if you're married, you should be able to enjoy each other, we would hope, as regularly as possible. And for men, that's always more than for women. Amen? I mean, that's just natural. Usually. Well, usually. Sometimes. Okay. No, no absolute language. All right. So the, uh, the reality is that, that it's very often, more often, the men want sex more often. And it's because biologically we're built that way. Men's testosterone levels rise to their peak about every three, after, three, after they've had an orgasm three days later. It's at their max. 24 hours they're ready to go, but at their max of testosterone in three days. That's a, that, that directly applies to what Paul is talking about here, the sexual desires. And so it's, it's, free, it's not just once a week, let's schedule and we're good. No, this is frequent. Now, there are other issues that we'll deal with in a minute, but primarily the heart condition is to be willing in this communication and in this relationship in this way. And, and also, I think that as we like, think through our needs sexually and relationally, you know, I, I think through with men... Um, most of them are not as aware of their need relationally as women are. Women are the more relational creatures, and we keep the families together. That's just a part of our makeup. But in reality, none of us would deny that men need relationships, right? That that is a, a huge aspect to a thriving and a good life. So I want to flip that and take that over into the women's side that we might not be as aware of our sexual need, but I want to say that it's just as vital to a happy and thriving life, especially, obviously, in marriage. Mm -hmm. It goes, that cutting both ways, that dance continues even, even while it's regular. And so we get the objection that it's like, hey, a lot of ladies feel like I'm tired. There's a lot of stuff going on again. We, we hope that we've kind of covered why that's important still, even in your marriage for your husband and for your relationship. And 
The other side of the flip is that a lot of, a lot of other, so there's some other people, and oftentimes as men, is like, if you're having sex, it kind of gets boring. You're the same old vanilla, vanilla stuff going on. And where is this world? The world of creativity has been birthed open in very bad ways because of pornography and erotica, like Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff like that that have come out. And, you know, where is the boundary? I mean, as two consenting adults, if we both agree, that's cool. Actually, there are boundaries. Um, first of all, as again, to remember, your spouse is made in the image of God, not in the image of anything else. Not in the image of Cosmo, not in the image of Playboy, not in the image of Playgirl, no, not, not in the image of the Thunder Down Under, whatever is going on out there. You know, your, your husband has been made, uh, don't ask. Uh, the, <laughs> your husband and your wife have been made in the image of God. And, and so really when it comes to creativity and this kind of stuff, we, we really advise typically in our premarital counseling is that the least creative person governs, the cre- governs this. And I think to remember it's really about the relationship more than anything and not about the actual act. And yeah, so, it's about what's comfortable, right? It's about knowing each other. And so I think um, it just depends. You know, I think that some people are going to be more you know, engaged in activities like outside and not, not with sex, but just in more... Um, recreational, and that's where their relationship is going to be really formed. And so, so. It's, it's knowing that spouse, knowing where they're comfortable, but knowing your Lord and knowing that you never call your spouse to do sin, never calling them beyond what they're, beyond what is right. And, and let's just put it this way. I'm just going to be straight and blunt real quick, and that this stuff from Fifty Shades of Grey and things like that is really about harming your spouse in order to get greater pleasure. That's not what this is about. When I say that God desires it for pleasure, it's not about that, not gaining your own pleasure. And when we're going to dominate and rule and master, that is the actual, the very definition of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And the reality is that this is supposed to be a caring and a love and a mutuality of a building up, never of a tearing down. And so it's really important that we understand that. And I get there's some pushback on that, but the scripture is very clear that, that, you know, love does not rejoice Love does not rejoice in wrong. It does not rejoice in the harming of each other. It does not rejoice in these things. And so go through that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage. That gives you some great boundaries for that. And so that's not to say you can't have fun. That's not to say that it's not supposed to be fun. But the reality is that our culture, we need to be careful. There's lots of stuff pressing in on marriages to tell them to do certain things. And we want to turn it back to the study and the giving. The return of the dance of seeing being seen, declaring, and being intimate because you know one another. And that is this intimacy that we're talking about. Now, there are other aspects, though, and I'm, I'm going to kind of pick up from here. And, and the reality is that some of you have been very hurt by sex, either from a past marriage, you've been abused, in the past relationships, you've been raped. Perhaps you have found yourself addicted to pornography or to sex itself. And you found yourself just driven down and, and harmed so deeply in so many ways. What do you do with that? One of the first harms is the church can harm you. Not so can give you a horribly negative concept of sex. And if that's your case, I just advise you to get back to the Word of God. Go back to the first sermon in this series. Start studying that stuff so you can get the biblical concept of what sex really is. It's very important that we write our mindset to see it's a positive, powerful thing that God has given to us. And that we can begin to move that way. And it's not some dirty, evil thing that maybe you picked up in your youth group because you took a purity thing in the wrong direction or something. I want to encourage you there. Second, maybe that you've been in a situation where you've had addiction, rape, or something like that that's occurred in your life. A couple things real quick. You need community that's safe. First, ladies, you need 
females around you, maybe who have been through similar things, a recovery group of some kind that can talk to you and walk you through the process. If you had an abortion, somebody can help you work through that process. Men, you need a group of men around you. Ladies with ladies, men with men. And the reality then is that you also need therapy. You just need to get into counseling. There's no defeating these things alone. And somebody who can guide you and walk you, a good Christian counselor can help you through the scriptures and the understanding that you can be healed and you can come to a right understanding about sex. Others of you may be struggling with sex because of a physiological problem. And there is help out there for that. There are several, there's actually some Christian, um, some Christian groups that work in this department, strangely enough, but they believe in it so much and they know it's a problem. And you can pick up a book called Intended for Pleasure. That's a book we like to use in our premarital counseling and that couple does work with people through those things and, and provides networks and information like that. And there is help. Whatever your circumstance or situation is, there is help that this can be the th- a thriving portion and a binding portion of your marriage. And again, it, some of your guys' sex problem is not even a sex problem. It's simply a relationship problem. And we have our marriage team that is always available to help you continue to grow and develop in your marriage. And so we want to encourage you in that as well. And so just some powerful ways to get healthy in our sex lives as married people. But finally, I just have one final real word of encouragement to you. Maybe you have that past. You've you've maybe had a child out of wedlock. Maybe you've had an abortion. You've had that situation we talked about. You know, Satan likes to grab that and he likes to beat you up with it. He loves to hold your guilt of your your addiction or of the visual images that pop through your head or the struggles that you've had with lust or whatever it is. He loves to pummel you with the guilt. And he loves to hold that guilt over your head. Some of you may be still frustrated and hurting over that. Can I just tell you, God's not done with you? That God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he valued you, even though you may not value yourself, that he was willing to give his son, his one and only son, to die on a cross to bear our sins so you could be free, forgiven. And then he rose from the dead, not just to give us some idea to worship, but to give us new life. He can cleanse you by his blood, transform you, and give you a new start. And it begins with that relationship with God. And I want to encourage you to to be free of that guilt and to allow God to heal you by having that relationship with him. But it begins by trusting he's taken that past and he's dealt with it and he wants to begin new with you right now. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You need to begin that journey with God. If you're already a Christian and you need to keep moving forward in that, remind yourself of that grace this morning. But if you need to begin that journey, I want to encourage you to do so. In fact, if, if we'd all just bow our heads together and close, close our eyes. Just You may be right there. You may be in, in a real need to receive forgiveness from God and, and have him clean up just your soul. And if you're ready to begin that journey with God and be forgiven that sense, I want to give you that opportunity right now. You're just going to put your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I'm ready to receive God's love. I'm ready to believe that he is willing to cleanse me. Amen. And don't be afraid, God can do this. It's called faith. It's called a step of trust. And you're just saying, God, I need you to work. And right now, it's, it feels scary, but right now, if you need to trust God and just start there, that's you, I'll just give you a chance to pray to God. It's just talking to him, just right where you're at. Ask him. Ask him to come into your life to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life and, and to cleanse you and your past. 
Let them know that you trust that Jesus Christ has taken your sins and taken this past and, and he's dealt with it. Thank, thank God now that you're no longer guilty, but you're free. And ask him to come into your life and to lead you through the rest of it. And God, for those who are praying this, I pray they'd be able to forgive themselves as you have forgiven them so that they would be free and fully. And God, that you walk with them, teach them, and train them in your ways, that their relationship with you would grow deeper and deeper and deeper every day of their life. We thank you for them. We ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.